Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number three. Just a couple things uh, for you to uh, take note of and remember uh, some things coming up. I'm sure many of you saw in the uh, bulletin there about uh, elder uh, selection and process. Um, as we had stated, we're going to be um, be bringing on a new elder, and uh, we're working through all those things, but uh, we wanted you to be aware of that. And uh, so just do take some time, read through that. And then also uh, coming up in April, uh, we're going to be having a baptism and um, so we're real excited about that. And uh, so if there might be somebody else here that has not been baptized, um, never been baptized by immersion, um, if you'd like to do that, uh, just feel free to talk to uh, any of the elders and uh, we'd like to talk to you about that. But uh, Philippians chapter number three, and we're going to be uh, finishing up this chapter here. We didn't get a chance to finish these last two verses uh, that we were looking about, about the believer's walk and about our citizenship being in heaven. And uh, as we looked at that walk and as what we were talking about pursuing after holiness, this was Paul's goal. Uh, this is what he was striving for. This is the, the upward call of the, 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 the call in Christ Jesus for him to be moving towards that. This is all that stuff that he says, all these things that I've gained, I've counted them as lost so that I may win Christ. And uh, he kept that, uh, that thought going through here. But we're going to see here in these uh, last two verses here um, that as a believer in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, uh, we are citizens of heaven. And we're supposed to be conducting ourselves accordingly is what uh, Paul had previously talked about. But primarily here uh, in these last two verses, Paul is going to talk to us about when Christ returns, when Christ comes. Uh, what are some things that uh, we need to be looking forward to, some things that are going to change and uh, happen uh, in our lives. And so uh, when Christ returns, it's not something uh, that if it will happen, it will happen. It's a certainty. Not waiting around uh, looking for the government to fix itself. Uh, I'm not waiting for the world to fix itself. We need to be awaiting for the Lord's return. That is the next event that is uh, on God's timeline. Uh, the fact that uh, his son will come back. And uh, so we need to have our eyes fixed on the sky waiting for our redemption. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, today. If your citizenship is in heaven... Be excited about the Lord's return. Be excited about that. Look forward to it. And uh, let's dive into these uh, last two verses here as what we see here uh, in the scripture. So verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. And so if we are awaiting this, when Christ returns, what are the, one of the things that we're going to see in all this is our citizenship will be finalized. Uh, right now, we are living in this world. We're traveling through. We're pilgrims. This world is not our home. We're traveling through. And so our citizenship is in heaven. And when Christ returns, our citizenship will be finalized. Now, no doubt, Paul here has a heavenly focus. His mind is set on heavenly things. If you recall previously, remember what he was talking about? The difference between those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? He says they have their minds focused on what? Earthly things. He says in times before, before we knew Christ, our minds were focused on earthly things. But now that you have been resurrected with Christ, seek the things which are above. And so Paul here is saying our citizenship is in heaven. He has this heavenly focus and he's pursuing after the goal in Christ Jesus. He has his eyes on the prize. He has this heavenly focus. He is seeking the things that are above. And uh, as a believer in Christ, it's very true as what scripture says here that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, here on the earth, we are strangers and pilgrims. And notice a couple things here about this. First of all, this reality that our citizenship is in heaven. This is what makes us different from those who do not know the Lord. Those who do not know the Lord do not have their citizenship in heaven. They follow Satan. They worship Satan. They do what Satan wants them to do. They are Satan's children. They follow him. He is their father. But our citizenship is in heaven. We shouldn't live like the world because our citizenship is in heaven. We are called to live differently. We shouldn't hold on to this world because our citizenship is in heaven. It's all about our citizenship, where our home is. It amazes me how much we cling to this world. The things that we have, how much we cling to it. Your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. I think this past year has been a, a real revealing of that, of how much people desire this life rather than the life to come. How much we are willing to cling on to this life rather than our heavenly life in Christ Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's briefly recall how Paul viewed this as well. Look at verse number eight. Paul spoke about some of these things, about how he viewed his citizenship in heaven. In Philippians three, verse number eight, he looked at it as being an accountant. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In verse number 12, he spoke about being an athlete. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying I'm pursuing, I'm pushing forward because my citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on the earth. And now he speaks here as being that of an alien, someone in a foreign land waiting to go home. This must be true of us all. The word citizenship used here refers to the place where one has official status, the commonwealth where one's name is recorded on the register of citizens. Isn't that what Jesus said? Remember what he said? He said, don't rejoice because of this, but rejoice because your names are written where? In heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, not here on the earth. In Philippians 1.27, in fact, Paul used this same word about citizenship. In Philippians 1.27, he says this, only let your manner of life, that's the same word of citizenship, only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's interesting. So he calls us to live as citizens of heaven because that's where our citizenship is. We are called to live that way. The Philippians understood this because the Philippians here they were actually living in a Roman colony. They knew what it meant to be a citizen of Rome. They had all the perks of being a Roman citizen. And Paul's saying, look, you are called to live differently. You're a citizen of heaven. You see, to be a Roman citizen was a great privilege, but as Christians, they had an even greater citizenship and therefore a greater responsibility to live that way. As citizens of heaven, we must be different. We must always seek to keep our identity and not conform to the world. Romans chapter 12, verse number two, Paul wrote to the Romans and he says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That idea there of one conforming, how many of you ever played with Play-Doh before? And you get like all the little, neat little attachments, you put that Play-Doh in there and you pull the handle down and out comes what? Stars, monkeys, you name it, spaghetti. It gets conformed into a certain shape. And Paul is stressing here, he says, if you are a citizen of heaven, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is against God, which is against Christ. He says you are to live as a citizen should live of heaven. So we must keep ourselves from being pressed into conformity by the world system. This is how citizens of heaven should live on this earth. Here's the second thing about our citizenship. We are awaiting Christ's return. Notice what he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, heavenly citizens should be focused on their coming king. Paul says that as citizens of heaven, we should be awaiting our Savior's coming. Other translations read, eagerly wait for. You're eagerly waiting for it. 
eagerly. You're looking forward to it. Can I be honest with you? There are many times that I do not live my life for Christ. I do not live my life with a heavenly focus. And I'm not really awaiting, eagerly awaiting Christ's return. Because my mind and my eyes, my heart are fixed on other things other than Jesus. And Paul says, as citizens of heaven, we need to be eagerly awaiting his return. The language Paul here is using is very strong language. He's expressing this awaiting having to do with a earnest expectation of something believed to be imminent immediately, right away. I mean, Paul believed that Jesus was coming back any moment. That's how he lived his life. In fact, do you remember when uh, after Jesus' resurrection and he spent 40 days with his apostles and then he was taken up there uh, on the Mount of Olives and the, the disciples were, were standing around looking, gazing up and here's an angel that says, you men of Galilee, why are you standing around waiting? He says, this same Jesus who was taken up in like manner will return in like a manner. And what were they supposed to do? Go, be going and doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. Jesus is coming back and we are to be awaiting Christ's return and so this, this thing about him coming back, it means literally to thrust forward this imminent return. It means literally to thrust forward the head and neck in anxious expectation. That's what he's calling us to do. We need to be looking, waiting, waiting. because he could come back imminently, his return. And so this should be our daily passion and our daily prayer, ushering in the second coming of Christ. Paul wrote this to Titus in Titus 2, 11 through 13. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, to say no, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul also said something similar in 1 Corinthians 1 through 7. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as citizens of heaven, we eagerly need to be awaiting for our Lord for his return when he comes back, when he is revealed. So are you awaiting his return? Are you eagerly expecting it? If we're honest, many of us lack an eager expectation for our coming Savior. And so how should we develop this eagerly awaiting his return. Here's some practical ways that I think that we can apply to our lives is what scripture teaches us about his return. If you want to eagerly await his return, first of all, develop and maintain an eager expectation for the second coming by practicing daily obedience to his commands. A servant who is not obedient doesn't want the master to return. 
because of fear of judgment. And it is the same with us. If we are not practicing holiness as what Paul was really stressing here about pressing forward towards the mark, living a life of holiness, if we're not practicing that, if we're not pursuing after that, we're not really looking forward to Jesus returning. I can remember as a, as a kid growing up that both my parents worked. Uh, my dad worked construction. Sometimes he'd come home probably about 3, 3.30. Uh, my mom did a, a clerical job doing key punching for insurance uh, through a hospital. And uh, she would usually get home about five or six. Well, we would get home from school. The schools that we went to were just, we could walk to school. I mean, it was that close. I mean, I could roll out of bed and be in the, in the classroom. It was that close. So the schools were right there. We would come home from school. And our job, what we were told to do by our parents was to have the house cleaned. So all of us had certain jobs. I had the job of loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, cleaning up the kitchen. That's still what I do today at home. But, um, you know, we did all these jobs, right? And we were told to do them. Now, there were many times that we would come home and instead of doing the job we were supposed to do, uh, we didn't do it. And we goofed off. And then I would see my dad's blue truck coming down the road and pulling in. Uh-oh! <gasps> and boy, we'd be scrambling, trying to get everything cleaned. And there was this judgment, this fear. Uh-oh, dad's home and it's not done. And so if we are going to be developing and maintaining this eagerly expectation of the Lord's return, we need to be obedient to his commands, living as a believer in Christ, living as a citizen of heaven, pursuing holiness. And so when Christ comes, uh, we can be expecting his return. Worldliness will dampen the fires of our expectation. So we need to be pursuing after Christ. Secondly, we develop and maintain an eager expectation for the second coming by praying for it. In Matthew 6.10, Jesus gave us what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And it contains a petition for the coming kingdom. And he says this, he says, when we pray, he says, thy kingdom come as thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so essentially we are praying for Christ's coming as you will notice, the prayer guide that we uh, gave out uh, that's in the uh, foyer there for this weekend, uh, the weekend of prayer that we're going to be having, it's the Lord's Prayer. And it, it talks about the coming kingdom, praying that God's will will be done, that he would come, that he would return. That's what we need to be praying for, that the Lord is returning and so we should literally pray this daily. We should pray for our Savior to come. In fact, many believe the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation is a petition for Christ to come. Turn over there just real quick with me. I just want to show you this out of uh, Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. Now look at this. This is, this is just fascinating. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17 So here's, here is what it says. The spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come. And let the one who hears say what? Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Then look at verse, uh, 20, uh, verse number 20. He who testifies to these things, who's that? That's John. He's writing here. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. So you have Jesus here saying, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So you have the spirit, you have the bride saying, come, come, come. You have Jesus says, I am coming soon. And you have John here saying, amen. Come, come, Lord Jesus, come on down. He wants him to come. So there's this eager expectation for him to come. And so this should be our daily prayer as well. Are you praying for the coming of our Lord? Through prayer, we develop an eager expectation of his coming. Here's a third thing that we can do to develop and maintain an eager expectation of the Lord is by practicing the Lord's Supper. The New Testament church is called to practice two ordinances. One of them, baptism. The other one, the Lord's Supper. And so we are called to practice this. Often we take the Lord's Supper and only think of it as Christ's death. Yes, it is a remembrance of what he has done. But listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we gather together, and we partake together, and we are remembering his death, we're remembering it until he comes. It's an eager expectation of his coming. And so we should be looking forward to his coming. And it is meant to help us say, come, Lord Jesus. So our citizenship will be finalized. We are awaiting this savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's look at a second thing here our bodies will be transformed. So he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so when Christ returns, there's gonna be some things that are gonna be happening. First of all, our bodies will be transformed. And so it is at the second coming that Christ will transform our lowly bodies our bodies of weakness, sickness, infirmity, they will be transformed into a perfect resurrected body. You know, I don't think we fully comprehend what this means or what this will look like. We do know that we will be without sickness, without sin, and that these bodies will be glorious. Turn with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the great resurrection chapter here. And in it, Paul really talks about the resurrection, what it looks like, uh, how it's all going to happen. And let's examine here, uh, Paul's going to give us some understanding of the, these, this nature of these glorified bodies that are going to be transformed, these, these resurrected bodies. Let's look at some of these verses. Look at uh, verses uh, 35. Uh, look what he says here. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Now, how many farmers do we got here today? If you farmed anything, raise your hand. How about a garden? Okay, very good. All right. Now, you know, when you put a seed in the ground, what happens to that seed? What? It sprouts. Jesus told us when that seed, it falls in the ground and it does what? It dies. And out of that death comes life. And so Paul is telling us here that when our bodies are placed in the ground, when we die, we're dead. But there's going to be a resurrection. There's a new life that comes out. And so our lowly bodies are going to be transformed. There's going to be something different. Look at verse number 42. Look what he says here. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so he essentially here describes it as a seed that is put into the ground and it grows into a large, beautiful tree. There is this, there's this new life that comes out of it. He says that is the difference between our future glorious body and the lowly body that we have right now. And so there are comparable to the difference between a seed and a tree. They are sown perishable, raised imperishable. They are sown in dishonor, raised in glory. They are sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. They will be glorious. Now, I'm sure many of you have experienced the aging process, right? When you get up in the morning and you look into the mirror, what do you see? Hair's falling out, teeth are falling out, right? There's an aging process. We get up. How many of you guys do this? You're getting older and you're, you're walking around and then you go to sit down and you go, ah. right? What's all with that? I don't understand that. Maybe I haven't aged long enough yet. But, but there's this aging process that's going on. We're decaying. When you are born into this world, you're in a constant state of decay. From the moment you take your very first breath, you are dying. And it's just a matter of time before we finally do die. And so this aging process that's happening out, we're wearing out. And so this should be a constant reminder to us that our bodies are falling apart. But if you are a believer in Christ, you will have a new body, a glorious body. 
You know, one thing that I have a hard time understanding is why Christians try to preserve this life. Why? Why do we want to preserve this life? Why are we holding on and clinging so hard to this life, almost as if I can't die, I can never die? Why do we hold on to it? We're going to be given a new life, a new body. We are not called to live that way. We should be yearning more and more for the second coming in our new body. Notice what Paul hones in on here about our bodies being transformed. Not only will we have a new body, but look at what Paul says here. Our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We will be changed and we will be transformed. Paul is looking ahead to the futures and saying our redemption will be fully complete. The glorification of the believers will be made complete. We will be saved not only from our sin, we will be saved not only from the power of sin, but finally we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And as we focus on the benefits of our King's coming, which are many, it helps us create an eager expectation in us. We begin to say, Lord, come, Lord, come, come quickly, because this is what we have to look forward to. Our bodies will be transformed. Let's look at the last one here. Christ will subject all things to himself, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now notice here, this other thing that will happen when Christ returns, he will use his power to subject all things to himself. When Jesus returns, he will be reigning supreme over this earth. The phrase here, subject things, means to arrange in ranks. It's a military term. Now, isn't that interesting? Remember what Paul was talking about, the out-resurrection, the better resurrection? The fact that there will be believers that will have places of honor and authority. And so when Christ returns, he is going to arrange everything in ranks. And he will be the supreme commander. He will be the ruler of all. And so when we are resurrected, there will be Christians who will be promoted to places of honor and authority. And there will be ranks. Christ will be supreme and everyone will be subject to him. You know, in the society that we live in today, Christ is not first. You know what's first? Me, you, the world system. Christ is not first, but when he returns, he is going to subject all things unto himself. He will be ruler and supreme authority over everything. So everything will ultimately submit to the authority of Christ. He will arrange everything into ranks. Everything will submit to him and to his lordship. He will remove the curse from all creation there will be no earthquakes, no tsunamis. There will be peace now between the animals and men. Those who do not profess Christ now will ultimately be made to submit to him. We got a glimpse of this power earlier on in uh, Philippians. Uh, look with me real quickly. Philippians chapter number two. 
Paul talked a little bit about this. Philippians chapter two, uh, look what he said in verse uh, seven, speaking of Christ, how he emptied himself. He says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's interesting. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul says that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Everything in the universe, everything that is currently in a state of confusion and rebellion will arrange into ranks and give glory to Christ. And when this happens, Christ will ultimately then give all glory to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. And so the Father exalts the Son to the highest place and the Son in return exalts the Father so that he may be all in all. And so as we focus on this reality, it should create an eager expectation in us we should desire for Christ to be exalted throughout the earth and ultimately for God to be all in all. That's what our desire should be. Because when Christ returns, that's what's gonna happen. And so this is the hope that we have for the future. In the future, we will get new resurrected bodies and Jesus will be reigning as our Lord and Savior. Are you ready for that? Are you eagerly expecting and awaiting for his return. If not, we need to do some heart searching. We need to do some uh, inventory to find out, am I awaiting his return? If not, it could be that maybe we don't think he's coming back. Maybe we think that, eh, Maybe there's some things in my life that just aren't lining up with what God has called me to live like. And maybe I need to start doing that. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, when Christ returns, you will be resurrected, but you're not gonna be resurrected to glorification. You'll be resurrected to damnation. And you will be cast into the lake of fire. You'll be punished for your sin. But see, Jesus took your punishment on the cross for you. He paid the price. He bore the wrath of God for you so that you could have a resurrection that is that of a glorification, a glorified resurrection. And so when Christ returns, these are things that will happen. And so we need to be ready for that. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.